what's the mvp what does that need to look like what do i need to do to get a product that i know it may not be perfect it, it will not be ideal it won't have all the features that i need to have it but it does what it needs to do so once it, once we were able to define what that 0 uh, to 1 stage was it, it really helped get the initial alpha device in place Welcome to Medsider, where you can learn from the brightest founders and CEOs in medical devices and health technology. Join tens of thousands of ambitious doers as we unpack the insights, tactics, and secrets behind the most successful life science startups in the world. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hey everyone, it's Scott. In this episode of Medsider, I sat down with Dr. Parag Gad, who after 12 years at UCLA, co-founded Spinex to turn cutting-edge science into life-changing devices. FDA has granted breakthrough device designation for two of Spinex's non-invasive products aimed at improving the lives of adults with neurogenic bladder conditions and children with cerebral palsy. The company has raised nearly $4 million in equity financing and has also secured non-dilutive funding from multiple government agencies. With ongoing multi-center clinical trials and plans for future enrollment, Prague and his team are steering Spinex toward a new frontier in bioelectric medicine. Here are a few of the key things that we discussed in this conversation. First, moving from academia to entrepreneurship brings a whole new set of challenges. Be prepared for a steep learning curve as you navigate the various operational, financial, and technological hurdles. Surround yourself with experienced and passionate people and commit to clinical evidence to inform your decision making. Most importantly, never stop learning. Second, building credibility is crucial for long-term success. For Spinex, FDA's breakthrough device designation for its flagship products has certainly helped. Explore possible routes to demonstrating trust and remember that establishing legitimacy early on can have a lasting impact on your company's success. Third, there are viable alternatives to venture capital for securing funds for your startup, such as grants for example. While submitting them can be meticulous and time-consuming, it's not impossible to master. Illustrate both the social impact and commercial viability of your product to raise the odds for securing this type of non-dilutive capital. Okay, so before we jump into this episode, if you're listening to this show, I'm going to make the assumption that you're a dedicated pro looking to learn from the best in the business. If that's the case, which I think it probably is, I've got some exciting news related to our premium memberships. First, let's talk a little bit about Medsider Playbooks. Your ticket to going from 0 to 100 with your company or your career. You see our team has handpicked collections of the most insightful interviews with the brightest founders and CEOs. People like Nadim Yard, CEO of CVRX, and Mike Crusey, a serial medtech entrepreneur and general partner at Lightstone Ventures. These proven leaders shared their strategies and tactics for running a successful startup. Whether you're looking to master capital fundraising, navigate early stage development, tackle regulatory challenges, understand reimbursement, or maybe even position your venture for a meaningful exit, Medsider Playbooks have got you covered. And the best part, all of them are available to our premium members. Get instant access to these valuable resources at medsiderradio.com/premium. Again, that's medsiderradio.com/premium. Okay, here's the second thing. I completely understand that fundraising can be one of the most daunting tasks for any startup, especially in today's environment. That's why we've created a meticulously curated database of investors right at your fingertips. Explore a wealth of VC funds, private equity firms, angel groups and more all eager to invest in medical device and health technology startups. Access to this database is a premium member exclusive, so don't miss out. But that's definitely not all. When you become a Medsider Premium member, you'll get access to every volume of Medsider Mentors, where the brightest founders and CEOs share their invaluable learnings. Plus, you'll unlock the entire archive of every Medsider interview dating back to 2010. So, if you're serious about advancing your career or your startup, and want to tap into this treasure trove of knowledge, it's time to consider becoming a Medsider Premium member. Visit medsiderradio.com/premium to learn more. All right. Without further ado, let's jump back into the interview. All right, Prague. Welcome to uh, Medsider Radio. Appreciate you coming on. 
Thanks, Scott. Thanks for the invitation. Glad to be here. Yeah, I love the, uh, you know, obviously for everyone listening, they can't see the Spinex uh, logo in the background, but I love the fact that you're uh, you're on brand representing the company well. So um, with that said, I recorded uh, a brief bio on your background um, at the outset of this episode, uh, but let's start there. If you can kind of give us an elevator style sort of overview of your professional experiences leading up to Spinex, that'd be, that'd be great. By qualification, I'm a biomedical engineer, but uh, I often uh, share this with uh, you know people I speak to that I'm trained in neurophysiology and I often complain that uh, while I'm an engineer, I no more have the skills of an engineer. And mm-hmm. my mentor, Dr. Reggie Edgerton, uh, jokingly says that, uh, well, it's I'm glad that is the case because I can mold an engineer to be a physiologist and not the other way around. So by, by yes, by qualification, I'm a biomedical engineer, but have trained in neurophysiology at UCLA for about uh, 12 years before we took the official dive into entrepreneurship uh, and launched Spinex in 2018, 2019 and been the co-founding CEO uh, ever since, and been leading the charge towards uh, bringing our technology to market. Cool. Awesome. That's a super helpful overview. Let's talk a little bit about both of your products. I think I think it's two uh, currently that you're in, in clinical trials with, but it's, um, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but it, is it Scone and then SCIP? Or am I, uh, what, what's the best way? Yeah. Okay, Scone and Skip. Uh, yeah, Scone and Skip are our two products that uh, we're developing. I do want to clarify that while they're two products, they're essentially based on the same platform technology. So they are you know, two faces of the same coin that has been developed by Spinex and the, the team. So uh, most startups would focus on one product and try to be successful with that and not, not sort of uh, defocus. Uh, our, our objective here is really to uh, kill two birds with one stone. We have developed platform technology and know it has multiple applications and ha- have been able to identify two areas that are uh, that impact uh, individuals uh, and their quality of life significantly, which is where Scone and Skip come into picture. So we're not developing two unique products. They're unique in their own ways, but they're essentially part of the same platform technology. Got it. So there, there's, there's synergy between both. And can you give us a high level overview of the differences between the, the two and kind of what, what they do and maybe kind of frame that up as if I, uh, maybe I'm a, a freshman in high school and I'm just trying to get a, a high level understanding of kind of how, how, these, uh, how these devices work. So if, if you're looking at it uh, uh, in a very naive manner, Scone essentially is your iPad Pro and uh, Skip is an iPad Mini. That's essentially what it is. They both are based, they're identical in, in performance and function. Uh, they, they serve different purposes. Uh, one is larger, it's meant for an adult. It's specifically designed for adults that live with uh, neurological conditions such as spinal cord injury, a stroke or multiple sclerosis and are living through bladder dysfunction and, and have trouble holding urine in the bladder and often uh, have incontinence or urgency and frequency. So the score is meant to treat neurogenic bladder as an indication. Skip, on the other hand, is meant to treat the pediatric population. So children that live with cerebral palsy and uh, have difficulty sitting upright or holding their head up or difficulty moving, Skip is meant to train sensory motor function in this population. But they both come from the same basic technology, which is spinal neuromodulation. And what we've essentially done is identified ways in which we can electrically neuromodulate the spinal cord in a completely non-invasive and non-surgical manner, Hmm. which is placing hydrogel or patch electrodes at different levels of the spine along the back and deliver low intensity electrical pulses to the spinal cord. What we do is we activate the nerves in the spinal cord and by activating these nerves, we amplify some of the weak signals that are communicating between brain, spine and muscles. By amplifying them, we are essentially working on the principle of a hearing aid, allowing the brain to control what the muscle needs to do and allow the brain to hear what the muscle or the periphery is trying to say. 
So by re-establishing the synergy or the bi-directional communication, we're able to improve function. So with this basic idea, SCONE is meant to treat neurogenic bladder, which includes sensation, incontinence, uh, urgency, frequency, and SKIP is meant to treat sensory motor dysfunction in children living with cerebral palsy. Got it. And so, um, and I'm looking at the, the website right now, spinex.co. If you're listening to this and don't get a chance to uh, to read the full summary write-up for this particular uh, discussion with Parag, go to spinex.co, S-P-I-N-E-X.co, and you can get a, an, an idea of of, uh, of Skip and Scone, the two devices that, that Parag, uh, Parag just uh, described. So I, it sounds like kind of the magic sauce, and I don't have deep domain expertise kind of in, in neuromodulation, but sort of the magic sauce is the fact that these devices are non-invasive, as you mentioned. They're, they're sort of wearable, right? And you figured out a way to to do this, I guess not to repeat myself, but in a very non-invasive way, mm-hmm. in essence. In addition to that, it's completely painless. So you're not causing any pain or discomfort to the user. And the beauty of it is it's not something that you have to wear continuously. You wear it for an hour a day, a couple of mm-hmm. times a week, uh, and you, you're able to induce what's called neuroplasticity in the brain and spinal cord. So the improved function that you're observing is not only present when the electrical neuromodulation is actively delivered, but you're actually causing changes in the organization of this brain and spinal cord, allowing them to retain function even in the absence of active stimulation. So for a child, for example, with CP who comes into the clinic, receives therapy, goes back home, it's not like he or she has lost function. They're able to retain that level of functionality, even when stimulation is not actively delivered. Got it. Cool. Give us a sense for kind of where the company's at currently. We're recording this in uh, you know August of uh, of 2023. So give us a sense for kind of where you're at um, uh, in terms of kind of the life cycle of, of the company. So in the grander scheme of things, we're a fairly uh, early stage new company. We've been active for about four and a half years. Uh, we officially were incorporated in December 2018. So uh, we're you know, about four and a half years into being uh, being around. Uh, the first product, SCONE, is currently undergoing multi-center clinical trial for FDA registration. SKIP is expected to begin a multi-center clinical trial for FDA registration in the first quarter of 2024. Um, right. While, while this, these may seem fairly you know, relatively simple steps, uh, there's a tremendous amount of clinical research that's already been conducted to get us to this point, where uh, with SCONE, we have treated between 30 and 35 patients living with neurogenic bladder and have observed significant improvement in, in their bladder function. Uh, Skip, on the other hand, we have treated about 46 children with CP and a few adults and have observed uh, significant improvement in their quality of life and their ability to move. Based on these results, both Scone and Skip have been recognized by the US FDA's breakthrough devices, which essentially provide us with an expedited pathway for regulatory clearance. Got it. Very good. Uh, so pre-commercial kind of clinical stage company, Scone in clinical trials right now. Skip, it sounds like you're just on the on the uh, on the precipice of uh, of commencing that work in early 2024. Uh, that, I think that that kind of sets the stage for uh, allowing us to sort of go back in time, right, and kind of revisit some of the early years and uh, building company um, coming out of kind of your your academic career. But let, let's start there. Um, there's a lot of physicians as well as you know uh masters phd academics you know whether it's a physician that has a as a good idea based on their clinical practice or you know a masters or phd you know that has a, a great idea coming out of you know traditional academia um there's a lot of those folks that listen to this program so would love to get your take kind of um kind of going back in time you know coming out of that that traditional academic sense you know what were uh, a few things you know that um that you either you know did really well with that transition or you know you know key things that you kind of learned in that you know uh, that transition to kind of start up entrepreneur 
Well, I think there are several, several learnings for the first few years uh, when we were considering transitioning the technology out of academia. The, the motivation for us to you know, really transition it out of academia uh, was we had sort of a gold mine in front of us that you know a technology that actually was benefiting people. So uh, limiting it to a lab environment where we could treat five, ten individuals a year didn't seem right. That's really you know which was our primary motivation, saying okay, there needs to be a platform where this technology can be brought to the forefront and brought to market. What we didn't realize at that point, obviously, in our in our naive sense, and again, this is as a first-time CEO, as a first-time founder, you know, you, you have a learning curve, is the transition between the academic world to the real world in terms of all the various steps that you need to undertake. Publishing a paper, publishing a clinical study, obviously has its own challenges and has its own needs and requirements, but uh, getting a product to market is probably a hundred times harder than that. That's really where our early years went in talking to people. I was shameless. I was, uh, you know, open uh, saying, okay, I don't know the answers to certain questions. I know what I know and I know what I don't know. So I need to find out more. So mm. just kept talking to as many people as I could, but along the way, we knew there were a few key things which was critical, which is collecting enough clinical evidence that this actually works. We're not basing this on a hunch or an idea that we have had and coming up with a product overnight. This is based on solid clinical evidence, peer-reviewed publications, expert opinions from KOLs that this technology is valid and there is a need for this in the market. So once we had established that initial product to market fit and spoke to people about how do we go about taking this, transitioning this from an academic idea, academic you know, prototype into a commercial product, uh, and what are the various steps involved in that? I think having those conversations and understanding the challenges in front of us was really key. We didn't have the answers. We just knew that there were several new questions that needed to be answered, which we didn't know back in 2017 when we were considering launching Spinex. Got it. So it sounds like one of the keys was, to your point earlier, being unashamed about or un... Uh bold, I guess, in, in your, in your, uh, you know, w- willingness to sort of ask not only a lot of questions, but go kind of broad, right. Uh, mm-hmm. And asking those and asking those questions. And I think that's something that I think has come up um, over and over again, you know, when in interviewing other, you know, founders and CEOs of, of you know, life science and, and med tech startups, uh, to be more specific, that's a key kind of along the way, like, if you're if you're afraid to sort of feel like maybe ignorant, right? Uh, if you're if you're afraid of that, that's usually not gonna gonna result well, I mean, you got to be got to be comfortable kind of, you know, uh, asking asking a bunch of questions. Um, but you, you you, you touched on sort of like a lot of, you know, you're flexible and iterated like in those early years based on a lot of the feedback, you know, from all of those questions that, that you answered. But let's kind of go back in time and learn a little bit more about that process uh, developing kind of the alpha and beta versions of, of Scone and, and then Skip. And I'm sure it sounds like uh, Skip came after after Scone. Mm-hmm. But when you think about like the development of, and, and granted, there's a lot of synergy, as you mentioned earlier, between the two the two different devices. But when you think about the development for maybe Skip versus Scone, were there were there things that you kind of learned that helped you, you know, fast track, you know, Skip, um, you know, in in the early development of an alpha and beta and, and the alpha and beta uh, devices? And the reason I ask this is like that's so crucial, right? In in any early stage med tech ventures, you know, being as as capital efficient as possible in those early phases, right? You just you know you're up against you know very limited resources. So just curious to kind of get your take on how you kind of navigate those those early years with uh, with Spinex? I, I think there were two key guiding principles for me personally, right from right from the beginning. The first, which um, you know, I would refer back to Peter Thiel's zero to one uh, book, which is 
what's the MVP? What does that need to look like? What do I need to do to get a product that I know works? It may not be perfect. It, it will not be ideal. It won't have all the features that I need to have it, but it does what it needs to do. So once I, once we were able to define what that zero to one stage was, it, it really helped get the initial alpha device in place. The initial alpha device, when you look at it now, we probably laugh at ourselves as to what we put together, but it worked. It did the job. That one key learning or one key, uh, I guess, approach and mindset uh, was critical for us to uh, you know, uh, approach this problem. The second, uh, which is a little uncommon, unconventional, is what is the data telling me? That was a question that we would ask ourselves continuously and with every along the way, every stage along the way is, what is my data telling me? And that data could be clinical data, that, could, that data could be feedback from users, that data could be engineering data. Making decisions based on solid clinical or solid evidence in general uh, really allowed us to ensure that we, we didn't have any bias that was driving us in, in mm. a certain direction. So really ensuring that we had enough evidence. And if we didn't have, go and ask more questions. Be shameless and ask more questions and get the evidence that you need to. But that really allowed us to, again, uh, be very, very capital efficient in uh, our transition from being a, an academic spin-off to uh, an early stage company to now a clinical stage company. Got it. That, the book you referenced uh, by, by Peter Thiel, uh, you know, zero, zero to one. Great, great book. If you haven't read that, um, highly, highly recommend it. Um, I love your your answer, um, especially the first part of your answer. Really reminded me of something that um, Dr. Scott Wolf uh, mentioned. I had him on the program maybe a couple of years ago. He's the founder of Cool Sculpting, which I think a lot of people that are listening are, are at least somewhat familiar with, with that technology. He's also the founder of Aaron Medical, and I think he's on to some other things at, at this point too. But he, he mentioned like, you know, uh, even with respect to Aaron Medical, like the the generator and the system that they were using, right in the in the in the early stages of their of their clinical work, looks nothing like the generator that they're commercializing, right? And he said you have to, you know, as a as a medtech entrepreneur, you have to be comfortable with like sort of getting to that point where it works, right? It does the it does the key thing or the key things that you need it to do, but the aesthetics may not be great. It may not be the user interface might not be perfect, but that that's okay, right? As long as you're as long as it does like the the most critical. Uh, serves the most critical functions, you know, that you're that you're aiming for, you know, that's what you're after, right? In those in those early stages, and it sounds like you you kind of followed a kind of a similar similar framework in the early days of, of Spinex. Cool, um, Prague. Let's let's transition to um, to kind of the reg clin functions. And I know um, what, with respect to kind of gathering whether it's bench data or clinical data, this is probably a little bit more of your wheelhouse. And it seems like you know coming out of you know sort of academia. You guys have been pretty prolific in this kind of function, uh, considering Spinex isn't that old of a company. And, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, med tech entrepreneurs that are listening to this that don't maybe have, maybe that, that's a little bit more daunting to them, right? Um, kind of tackling this 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 boulder and, and, and pushing pushing kind of more the, the clinical uh, mm -hmm. clinical affairs function up, up the hill, so to speak. So when you think about this... Um, any any kind of words of wisdom or like you know best pieces of advice for other life science entrepreneurs that are you know, beginning to kind of lay out this this kind of clean reg roadmap and you know how to get there uh, in the most efficient uh, efficient way possible. Uh, one of the keys for us really was to get the right people on the team. Uh, without a team, uh, any 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 ship is gonna is gonna sink. I think early on we we brought on uh, one of our co-founders, uh, Dr. Evgeny Creden, who's a urologist based here in Los Angeles. He obviously played a very critical role in developing the early uh, you know, clinical protocols, um, everything related to our neurotic pattern that would credit Kenny. And he was really played a pivotal role in transitioning the idea uh, into something that was ta tangible. Mm -hmm. During discussions with the FDA, uh, having a, a urologist on our team 
answering questions on behalf of the company and addressing the needs of a patient, addressing the needs of a user as a physician really helped us make a strong case for what what we were offering and what what our product had on offer. Um, so I think, yeah, definitely having a strong team is 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 the most critical step at this early stage when you are uh, low on capital. So really bringing the right people on board and ensuring that there is synergy between the approaches, the mindset, the wavelengths match, and you're able to function in a as a cohesive unit. Yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more, especially in with respect to um, kind of engaging with FDA, having a clinician right as part of your team that can help translate you know a lot of the maybe the, the bench uh work right um that you're that you've done on on a particular device or system and helping translate in that to fda um in a in a kind of an easy to understand way that's really really critical especially if it's a physician that has experience previously with <laughs> with interacting with fda yeah. uh that that helps all, all all the more so if you're listening to this and you know either preparing for maybe a pre-sub or something like that, highly, highly recommend that you, you know, if you don't already have, have a, uh, have a physician or a clinician kind of on, on board. And, and I think as a, as an entrepreneur, we are not normal people. There's a, <laughs> there's a, there's a knack to do things in an abnormal and uh, in a different manner. That really is a critical component in terms of the wavelengths matching, finding people on your team that uh, understand why you're doing certain things, the way you're doing them, supporting them, you know, there's no fixed eight hour a day job <laughs> profile that we have. There's no fixed job description. So finding people willing to go the extra mile, finding people that uh, are able to jump in and you know get your get your hands dirty is is really key. So yeah, I think that that that's really how the, the team has come together for us uh, over the last uh, four years, and uh, we continue to grow with that basic idea and basic principle in mind, which is the resource that is your personnel. Yeah, such a, a really, really good point, you know, because I think all all of us that are um, involved in whether it's preclinical or kind of clinical stage, you know, uh, you know, medical device or, or life science startups, you know, a lot of us are working with this extended kind of team, some in-house kind of FTEs, some, you know, part-time consultants, uh, part-time to full-time consultants. And, you know, looking for those those kind of skill sets that are going to be a match culturally is really, really critical because you could be working like as an example, you could be working with a, a really, really experienced right consultant. Right. But if they don't have sort of a level of comfort with working with an early stage company, typically not going to be a good match. You know, same thing applies across the board to any sort of specialty. Uh, you know, if they're not willing to sort of be curious and if they're not willing to kind of uncomfortable kind of navigating, you know, some some certain terrain usually is not, is not going to work out, you know? Um, and I, I, I personally always look for people that are like, you know, naturally curious, right. And mm -hmm. are unafraid to sort of, um, you know, look at a challenge and say, okay, this would be nice to do it this way, but this is like the minimum viable path to get here. Right. Um, right. you know, it's sort of the, the MVP uh, path to a certain, you know, clinical milestone as an example. So, you know, how, looking for those sorts of, of skill sets really, really crucial and kind of building out that, that early team. Hey there, it's Scott. And thanks for listening in so far. The rest of this conversation is only available via our private podcast for MedSider Premium members. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. You'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, Nadim Yared, CEO of CVRX, and so many others. As a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medical device and health technology entrepreneurs. In addition, you'll get a copy of every volume of MedSider Mentors at no additional cost. To learn more, head over to MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium.